Chapter 8 of How to Appreciate Music This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dick Summerfield How to Appreciate Music by Gustave Cobay Chapter 8 With Paderewski a modern pianist on tour. Liszt never was in this country, but we can gain some idea of the success that would have been his from the triumphs of Ignaz Paderewski. Other famous pianists have come to this country. Thalberg in 1856, Rubinstein in 1872, von Bülow, Josephi, took up his residence here, Rosenthal, Josef Hoffmann, but Paderewski's success has been greater than any of these. Americans are said to be fickle, but although Paderewski no longer is a novelty, his name still is the one with which to fill a concert hall from floor to roof. Why this is so is no secret. Hear him, and you will understand the reason. To a technique which does not hesitate at anything, and an industry that flinches at nothing, no one practices more assiduously than he. He adds the soul of a poet and the strength of an athlete. He looks slender and poetical enough as he sits at the piano on the concert stage. But if you watch him from nearby, you will be able to note the great physical power which he can bring into play when necessary, and which he never brings into play unless it is necessary. Therefore he combines poetry with force, and back of both is thought, intellectual capacity. In a frame on the wall of a New York Trust Company is a check for $171,981.89. It represents the net receipts of one virtuoso for one concert tour, and is believed to be the largest actual amount ever earned in this country by an artist, whether singer or player, in a single season. This check is drawn to the order of Ignaz J. Paderewski. An opinion regarding the piano by a man who by playing it can earn so large a sum and earn it because he is the greatest living exponent of pianoforte playing would seem worth having. Paderewski believes that save in one respect the pianoforte has reached perfection and is incapable of further improvement. He does not think that anything more should be done to add to its volume of tone. If anything he considers this too great, and the instrument too loud already. Instead of more power, rather less would be satisfactory. Wherein, however, he considers the instrument still lacking, notwithstanding its wonderful development during the last century, is in its capacity for sustained tone, for holding a long, drawn-out tone with the facility of the violin, for example. He is convinced, however, that the means of imparting this capacity for sustaining tone to the pianoforte will be discovered in due time, 
and that the invention probably will be made in this country. That increased tone sustaining power for the instrument is a great desideratum, doubtless is the opinion of many experts, but that the greatest master of the pianoforte considers it perfect in other respects is highly interesting and significant. After all, it remains the greatest of all solo instruments, because, within the smallest compass and with the simplest means of control, it has the range of an orchestra. For this reason, it is the most popular of instruments, and in its manufacture extends from the polished dry goods box with internal organs of iron, wire and felt, and with a glistening row of celluloid teeth, ready to bite as soon as ever the lid is raised, to the highest class concert grand. The Piano Doctor We who have our pianofortes in our own homes, and are content with an occasional visit from the tuner, little dream of the care bestowed upon the instrument on which an artist like Paderewski plays instrument i should have said instruments for when he is on tour he has a whole suite of them no less than four and each is coddled as if it were a prima donna fresh from the hands of madame marchese instead of a thing of wood metal and ivory true these pianos do not have their throats sprayed on the slightest possible occasion but they are carefully protected against extremes of heat and cold and while the prima donna consults her physician only at intervals, a piano doctor is in constant attendance on these instruments. Paderewski's piano doctor has travelled with him for several seasons, occupying the same private car and practically living with him during the entire tour. He was with him on the tour, in fact at his table at breakfast with him, when his special train was run onto an open siding near East Syracuse, and left the track, Paderewski being thrown forward on his hands against the table, and straining the muscles of one arm so severely that he was obliged to cancel his remaining engagements. Up to that time, however, his net receipts from seventy-four concerts had been one hundred and thirty-seven thousand and twelve dollars and fifty cents, while before his American tour began, he gave thirty-six concerts in Australia, with average receipts of five thousand dollars. His record concert was at Dallas, Texas, some years ago, when the receipts were nine thousand dollars. It occurred during a Confederate reunion. While he was at the pianoforte, the various posts marched up to the hall, with bands and fife and drum corps playing. Paderewski, however, kept right on through the blasts and shrilling. But when one of the posts let out the famous rebel yell, the pianist leapt from his seat as if he expected a tiger to spring at his throat. Then he realized what had happened, smiled, and continued amid laughter and applause. He had heard of the famous rebel yell, but this was the first time he had heard it. Pianofortes on their travels but to return to the pianofortes on tour, when Paderewski came to this country from Australia, his piano doctor met him at San Francisco with four instruments, which had been selected with great care in New York, and been shipped west 
in charge of the doctor. One of these the virtuoso reserved for his private car, for he practices en route whenever there is a stop long enough to make it worthwhile. He rarely plays when the car is in motion. Of the other three instruments, the two he liked best were sent to his hotel, where during four days preceding his first concert he practiced from seven to eight hours a day, notifying the doctor twenty-four hours in advance which pianoforte he would use. This instrument became officially number one, the others number two and number three. The pianist's route took him from San Francisco to Oakland, San Jose and Portland, Oregon. To make certain that he always will have a fine instrument to play on, a method of shipping ahead the instruments not in use is adopted. Thus, while he was playing on number one in San Francisco and Oakland, number two was sent on to San Jose and number three to Portland. Of course, none but an expert could detect the slightest difference in these pianofortes. But a player like Paderewski is sensitive to the most delicately balanced distinctions or nuances in tone and action. One of his idiosyncrasies is that always before going on he asks the doctor which of the three instruments is on the stage, because, as he himself expresses it, I don't want to meet a stranger. After each concert at supper, this conversation invariably takes place. Paderewski Well, Doctor, it sounded all right tonight, didn't it? Doctor Yes, sir. Paderewski Well, then, please pass me the bread. There never has been occasion to record what would happen if the doctor were to say, No, sir, for he always has been able to answer in the affirmative with the most scrupulous regard for veracity. Paderewski is as careful to play his best in the least important place in which he gives a concert as he is in New York. This high sense of duty towards his public accounts in part for his supremacy among pianists. Paderewski is not a mere virtuoso, he is a man of fine intellectual gifts who plays the piano like a poet. Paul Potter, the playwright who lives in Geneva, Switzerland, and occasionally has dined there with Paderewski, tells me that he has conversed with the pianist on almost every conceivable subject, except music, and always found him remarkably well informed. His knowledge of the history of his native land, Poland, and of its literature is said to be quite wonderful. Chopin, also a Pole, he idolizes and regards as far and away the greatest composer for the piano. To the fund for the Chopin Memorial in Warsaw, he contributes by charging one dollar for his autograph and two dollars for his signature and a few bars of music. From the money received as the proceeds of one season's autographs, he was able to remit about $1,300 to the fund. When the amusing little dialogue at the supper table which I have recorded takes place, the pianoforte, 
which the virtuoso has used at his concert, already will be on the way to its next destination. For it is part of the doctor's duty to see it safely out of the hall and onto the train before rejoining the party on the private car. The instrument is not boxed. The legs are removed, and then a carefully fitted canvas is drawn over the body and held in place by straps. The body is slid out of the hall and slowly let down onto a specially constructed eight-wheel skid, swung low, so as to be as nearly as possible on a level with the platform. This skid is part of the outfit of the tour. The record time for detaching the legs of the pianoforte, covering the body, removing the instrument from the stage, and having it on the skid ready to start for the station, is seven minutes. Thawing out a pianoforte. The instruments never are set up except under the doctor's personal supervision. Before each concert, the pianoforte on which Paderewski is to play is carefully gone over and put in perfect condition, tuned, and if necessary regulated, and this no matter how recently he may have used it. Defects so trifling that neither an ordinary player nor the public would notice them would jar on the sensitive ear and nerves of the virtuoso. Sometimes the instrument has been exposed to such a low temperature that frost is found to have formed not only on the lid, but even on the iron plate inside. In such cases the pianoforte is set up and, after the film of frost has been scraped off, is allowed to thaw out slowly and naturally before it is touched for tuning or regulating. There was an amusing incident in the handling of one of the Paderewski instruments at Columbus, Mississippi, where Paderewski played for 700 girls at the State College, although it was more exciting than diverting at the time it happened. The doctor relies on local help for getting the pianoforte from the skid to the stage and back again. Usually efficient helpers are obtainable, but at Columbus, where the college hall is upstairs and reached only by a narrow flight of steps, there was no aid to be had save from among the negroes lounging on the public square. The doctor went among them. What are you doing? he asked. Nothing. Want a job? No, too busy, was the usual reply. At last, however, a band of twenty coloured gentlemen was secured in the hope that muscle and quantity would make up for lack of quality. But never before has a high-grade pianoforte been in such imminent peril. It was got upstairs well enough, in spite of the fact that the negroes walked all over each other. But the descent! The doctor, M. L. C. Fisher, stood at the top of the stairs directing. J. E. Franker, the treasurer of the tour, below. Around the latter fell a shower of fragments from the wall, the rail, the posts, and at one time it seemed as if the whole banister would give way and the pianoforte crash in splinters on the floor. There were other moments of suspense, for the pianoforte as well as for the two watchers, who drew a long breath 
when the instrument safely was on the skid. Fortunately, such untoward incidents are forgotten in the general atmosphere of good humour which the pianist diffuses about him. He enjoys his little joke. During the last tour, he handed a photograph of himself to Mr. Franca, inscribed, To the Future Governor of Hoboken. At the Auditorium Hotel, Chicago, Millward Adams' brother, about leaving on a trip, asked for an autograph. Paderewski, quick as a flash, wrote, For the brother of Mr. Adams, on the eve of his departure from Chicago. Paderewski travels on a special train. With him usually are his wife, his manager, the treasurer of the tour, the piano doctor, a secretary, valet and maid. His home is a villa on Lake Geneva, where he has a beautiful garden and vinery. His dogs, his room for billiards, a game of which he is very fond, an unlimited opportunity for swimming, his favourite exercise. Apparently slender and surely most poet-looking at the piano, he is a man of iron strength as well as of iron will. End of chapter 8 Recording by Dick Summerfield, Eindhoven, the Netherlands